This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome back to this next episode of The Sober Rebel with me, Louisa Evans. The show that demonstrates that being sober is anything but boring. And today I've got an amazing guest for you, Jason, powered by soda water. He's taken on some amazing challenges in sobriety, but he's also found an authenticity and a congruency in his sobriety that he never had as a drinker and it's completely changed his life. So I can't wait to chat to him. Jason, hi. Tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your sober journey. How long have you been sober for? Yeah, so I'm Jason. I'm 51. In my head, I'm still about 25. I've been sober now for just over 20 months, something that I never actually thought I would do. And it's it's been an interesting journey, really, and it's been an enlightening journey. I've learned a lot since becoming sober. My background is very, very, very mixed. I've been involved in numerous different things and numerous jobs and numerous careers over the years. But probably for the biggest part of, for at least the last 25, 30 years, my main income has come from being a a singer uh, and an entertainer. So that's been one of the main things that I've done. I'm now a sober singer, as it were, uh, powered by soda water. And that's a wicked handle, isn't it? I love that handle. So that one came about by sort of accident, really, because I kept putting pictures on every time I set up at a gig, saying, as I always, my gig will be powered by soda water. And someone says, oh, you need to change your name to that. And that's how it sort of came about. So so what started it off for you? Why did you go sober? What was the trigger for you? I've dabbled with sobriety on and off for the last sort of 15 years. And I've always known that I, I do have a tendency to drink quite a bit. And bizarrely, as a singer, I'm somebody I never drink when I'm singing, or at least I haven't done for a lot of years. But I always used to drink quite a lot to calm me down after the gigs when I was singing all the time. And then when I did have time off, I used to drink to excess because that was my wind down time. And then New Year's Day 2022, I'd just recently moved house. I got extremely, extremely drunk and a photograph was taken of me, passed out, blacked out, unconscious, having put about an extra three stone on. Uh, from having been eating and drinking like like you wouldn't believe over the previous few months. And I took one look at the photograph and thought, something's got to change. I'd lost all my energy. I'd lost all my enthusiasm. I'd not been able to go into the gym and do anything for months on end. I'd been getting upset, depressed. My anxiety had gone through the roof. And I took one look at that photograph and thought, something's got to change. And the first thing that came into my head is I need to at least stop drinking, even if it was just because my 50th birthday was coming up just over a month later. And the plan was I was going to stop drinking and have no alcohol until my 50th birthday with a view to getting blind drunk on my 50th birthday, but just to give myself a health kick. And that's sort of how it started. So what made you continue on then after the 30 days and your 50th? So I take it you didn't drink on your 50th? No, 50th birthday came about and... 
I suddenly realised that I just felt so much better. I was so much more focused. I'd finally managed to get back into the gym and I was getting back into... What was happening was, is I was trying to get back training. I'd done training on and off and competed on and off for a few years, but I'd always been very, very inconsistent with it. And I was finding that I couldn't go without breaking down and starting to cry when I got there. I was getting very emotional and finding just the overwhelm of actually trying to do physically exhausting things was making me really quite emotionally overwhelmed. So when I actually managed to get back into the gym and stuff again, when I stopped drinking, all of a sudden I started to have this newfound energy and I was a lot more focused on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And also I wasn't trying to do anything for anyone else because me not drinking was something I was doing for me. Everything else all of a sudden became doing it for me so i may be used to train to try and impress other people maybe but and all of a sudden i was doing it because it was something i wanted to do and the focus became a lot more on my own health for my own personal benefit rather than for other reasons and then as it got closer and closer towards the back end of that month and getting towards my 50th birthday i'd been out and socialized a couple of times and found places where they sold good ranges of alcohol free options and I'd started to realise that actually I can still go out, still have a couple of drinks, but just not have the alcohol, not have the hangover, not have the bad head. Um, so when it came to my 50th, I just invited just a handful of people who I knew wouldn't judge or wouldn't make me feel under pressure to have a drink, chose somewhere where I knew they'd got a range of alcohol-free options available and decided, you know what, I'm not going to drink tonight. And when it got there and I enjoyed myself, I thought the temptation might be there. Got all the way through the night. And at the end of the night, I drove home. And I've never driven home from my birthday, especially such a big one like my 50th. Woke up the next morning with a completely clear head, having remembered every single thing, every conversation, every laugh, every joke, everything that was said, everything that had happened the night before. Whereas every other birthday, it had all sort of blurred into, into a nothing. And I sat and thought, you know what? I don't ever want to drink again. And that was that was the key point, I think. Seeing the photograph made me stop. Actually realising that I'd had a huge life event of my 50th birthday and been able to remember everything about it and enjoyed it just as much without the alcohol made me realise I don't need that anymore. And I wanted to see how my life would improve as a result, so I just followed it through. So, yeah, so here I am 20 months later never tempted or almost never tempted to have another drink. And that is amazing. That really is phenomenal. On your 50th birthday, most people would avoid or say, I'll do it after my 50th. But yeah. you've done it before and then still decide that you're going to stay sober. More power to you. I think that's brilliant. I think that was probably mentally and emotionally was probably why it was such a strong, why it's such a strong foundation for me having stayed sober. Because I thought if I can actually get through something like that and really appreciate the benefits of it, that's made a massive, massive difference, a huge, huge difference. Because then that anxiety of worrying about big events and, you know, if there's family occasions and things like that, I'm thinking if I can get through my own 50th completely sober, I can get through absolutely anything. There's, you know, what else can get thrown at me that I'm going to have to deal with? I can I can handle it. Yeah, and that's a brilliant way to look at it because a lot of people put off that event that they're thinking about those first 30 days they stay home yeah. and they stay very safe and 
And it's actually quite a good idea to be testing the new neural pathway, isn't it? So like testing that new response to the trigger that you are going to enjoy yourself and evenings out can be fun. For me, it was holidays. I had to re-educate holidays could be fun without alcohol. Uh, But it's different things for different people. I just think that's absolutely amazing. And so now you're 20 months sober. I have asked you on here to talk about, and I always throw people by asking them to give me three things. And we've had a a, quite a discussion in the background here as to which three things you want to talk about. So we're going to probably span quite a lot of three things. So what is your first thing that you'd like to touch on or your benefit of sobriety? I think um, my first one I want to look at is congruency. Now, A few years ago, about three years ago, I started training to become a life coach. I was going through a very, very difficult time in my life and I started paying my own life coaching mentor to try and help me through that. Off the back of that, I realised it was something I was quite good at. And one of the things he always told me is that, and it sort of underpinned everything, he always said, congruency is king. And that is the key to living a happy, proper, fulfilled life. And by that, he always reminded me that what I say and what I do in life and all the actions that I take have got to be aligned with my core values, my core beliefs and everything I really strongly believe in. And everything that's important to me isn't the way I'm leading my life. And and that was what I realised was happening. I was actually going out, I became a life coach myself and I was teaching people that you need to be congruent in your life. But what I was actually doing was I was coming off of teaching people and coaching them and mentoring them on Zoom calls. And then in my own personal life, as soon as that call went away, I wasn't actually dealing with the things that were important to me. I was hiding them away. I was bottling them up. I was compartmentalizing them and putting them at the back of my head. And I was drinking to drown them out. And I was telling people to face up to the fears, telling people to face up to the realities of what's really going on in the life whether it be in the relationships that they're in, in the marriages, whether it be to do with their work, their business, their friendships, whether it be to do with the family. But underneath all of that, I was telling all these people this is what they needed to do. I was doing the absolute opposite because I'd got things going in in my own life that I was hiding away. I wasn't being open and honest with myself, with the people that I was living with who I was actually going through these things with. So, yeah, so instead of dealing with it and instead of facing my reality, I'd go straight to the fridge and open a can of beer and then I'd open a second can of beer and then I'd open a third can of beer and I'd keep on drinking the cans of beer until the thing that I was hiding away from no longer hurts or no, or I didn't feel it anymore. And it was just a strange and quite a frightening way to live because I wasn't being honest with myself about so many things and so many important things in my life. And I mean, really huge emotional burdens that I'd been carrying around with me for well in excess of 20 years. Yeah. And it's so important, isn't it? That sort of congruency, that authenticity. And that's something that that I know I've mentioned on episodes before, being a therapist and helping people. And some of them were saying, you know, I'd like to look at my drinking and I was the whole time sat there thinking, yeah, I need to look at mine. I know I do. I've got to do something about this. But you don't. You don't want to. You push it down and then you go home, you have a couple of glasses of wine and forget about it. And the reality is that you don't realise that you're doing it when you're doing it. And it's only when you stop drinking 
and you actually start to look back at what you've been doing all these years that you see the reality of what the situation was. And then as your mind starts to become clearer and you start to have to sit with your feelings and sit with your emotions and sit with the trauma that you've got to heal from and start to face up to these things, it can be extremely painful, but these truths finally come out and you have to deal with them. You can't hide them anymore. You can't drown them anymore. You can't mask them. You can't put on a brave face and go out and be jolly and drunk. You've actually got to face up to the reality of everything that's going on in your life and and deal with it. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's changed. It's had a huge impact on me personally, in my personal life, my relationship, that I realised there were things fundamentally unhealthy in my marriage that had been unhealthy for years. And the reason why they'd become so unhealthy is because I'd not dealt with them. I'd not been open and honest with them. I'd not been able to face the reality of how difficult things had got. I've had to learn to forgive myself and accept all the things that I've done in the past or all the things that I haven't done in the past. And I've had to face it head on. I'm having to actually just face the out-out reality of who I really am and learn to love myself again for who I really am and stop pretending to be this other person that everyone seems to got to gravitate towards and I've lost quite a lot of I won't say friends along the way I think that I've lost a lot of acquaintances along the way and then I found out who my real friends were and sometimes there were people that I didn't know that well who just happened to think yeah fair play to you at least you've been honest with you I quite like you now and to feel congruent now I think you're right people can sense when I mean it's nothing that you've done or that you've said but they can sense when there's an incongruency in you yeah Um, and that's something they pick up on and you're right separate the wheat from the chaff with your friends you've got your real friends around you now you've made new friends that's a really good plus point and I have to say some of the friends that I've made through the sober community and Instagram community are better friends than people that I've ever actually met in person if I ever meet some of these people in person I'm going to be an emotional wreck. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be. But it's, it's, I think it's because we all understand, because everyone's been through the same thing. We've all got different stories. We've all got different journeys. But ultimately, as we go through that journey of sobriety and, we, and the alcohol leaves our system, we all have realisations along the way, different realisations, but every single one of them is as valid as anybody else's. Just things about the, you, you have realisations along the way because all of a sudden you see everything so clearly. It's not masked in a cloud and haze of alcohol. And it's like the biggest blessing and the biggest gift you can ever give to yourself and the biggest curse at the same time because you have to, it's sort of, to get that happiness and fulfilment of feeling that you're living your most honest and genuine life you've got to go through so much trauma to come out the other side. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, and I think that's why people sometimes struggle. They do get to a certain point when they stop drinking, where all of a sudden the emotions hit. And it's so easy just to revert back and go, I need a drink. Yeah. And that's the thing, is that if you, if you ride it out and you face it and come out the other side, then you can really start to live your life. And then the magic can start to happen because there's there's nothing can stop you then. 
it's just you being 100% you. And that's the bit I'm really starting to enjoy now. The people I'm now starting to have friendships with and it's all based on complete honesty and openness and they, they get to know the raw me and I'm very much aware my heart and my sleeve for everything. And if they like it and we bond, brill. If they don't, that's fine. I'd rather not spend my time trying to please other people and trying to fit in into that social constraint of, of going out and drinking and socialising and doing all the other things. Yes, it's nice to catch up with everyone, but you're not getting and there's no real interaction. It's just, can we get another drink down? Can we get another drink down? Can we get... And it's just, I didn't enjoy that. And I started to find it just didn't feel... It didn't feel comfortable, which is strange because most of my life I spend working in places where everybody is just drinking and usually to excess. And I watch everybody else getting drunk while I'm singing and performing because that's how I've been brought up. To, it's still at the back of my mind is you need to drink to have a good time. And I'm thinking, actually, no, you don't. You don't need to drink to have a good time. You might need to have a lot to drink if you're watching somebody sing that's not necessarily a very good singer. Well, that's not I'm, you. I'm I'm all right. I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but I'm a singer that I can confidently say you could sit through sober and not want to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> you're not driving not... people to drink. That's what we're saying. Yeah, that that's that's it. It's um. I always sort of joke. It's quite funny if I'm if I'm singing somewhere, I'll see who, I could spot who the designated drivers are on the table. And I'll always actually joke and say, right, I, I feel sorry for you because you're the sober one. You've got to listen to me without a drink. So I'm gonna, you'll, you'll hear something different to everybody else. I'm maybe, maybe better than I'm giving myself credit for. But I'm You not are the... very good. I've seen videos of you on Instagram and you, you've got a, an amazing voice. Absolutely amazing voice. I am actually going back in the studio at the back end of this month. I'm going to be recording a, a special live lounge version of a Rag and Bone Man track and doing a video for it as well. So... Wow. He's still one of my biggest influences as a singer. I just love his voice. So I am going to be going in the studio and doing that. I'm just finalising dates and stuff for that. So, yeah. So would you have done things like that if you were drinking? Would you have had the opportunity, do you think? I have had opportunities before, but I've never really followed them through. And I think I didn't have the confidence to believe that I can do whatever I want to do. I've always earned money from my talent, but I've never taken it to the level that I know my voice is capable of taking it to. And I've now got to 51 years old and I'm not slim and athletic like lots of other people are. And I haven't got the young looks that all the other singers have got. But I've still got a talent and a voice that that I could really do something quite good with and do more with than I'm doing at the moment. And all of a sudden, just this last sort of few months, especially now that my personal circumstances have changed, I'm sitting there thinking, do you know what? There is nothing whatsoever to stop me from taking the opportunities that are out there. Because opportunities have come my way in the past and I've walked away from them and I've left them. I just want to actually be recognised and be successful at what I do and be recognised as being good at what I do. I just want people to go, yeah, he can sing, but I'm not bothered about the fame and everything that comes with it because that isn't who I am. I'm not that I'm not that person, really. And I think maybe I was before, but since I've stopped drinking, I think I've realised that isn't who I am at all. I always thought I had quite a big ego and it isn't actually. I just want I just want to be recognised for being good at something that I enjoy doing. So with your singing, 
you talk about the fact that that obviously in the past you've had opportunities. Do you think you've got more confident in your singing as, as a sober person? Definitely. Where where the confidence has really come from is since I've stopped drinking, is I'm not losing my voice anything like I used to do. Ooh. So my actual, when I used to think, I still didn't even for the last however many years, I still only drank soda water when I sang. But as soon as I got in from the gig, I'd have beers waiting in the fridge for me as soon as I got in. So I was drinking immediately after. I was drinking on all my days off when I wasn't singing. And it was affecting me physically because it was affecting my health. It was affecting my throat. It was affecting my digestion. I used to get really bad acid reflux a lot of the time when I was drinking. And also when I was drinking, every time I had something to drink, I'd order a takeaway. So I was drinking and eating late at night because your brain has that sort of as soon as you've had a couple of beers, oh, I want a pizza, I want a kebab, I want... And that was having a detrimental effect on my voice. The longer I hadn't been drinking, yes, I still occasionally like the odd takeaway, but all those things stopped or almost completely stopped. So one of the other things that I've really noticed is that I now listen. It's a two-way thing. One is listening to myself and listening to my own inner voice. And I think that's been a huge, huge one. And my inner voice has always been bottled up. Instead of listening to what was actually important to me and how I felt, I was too busy listening to all the people around me and how they were influencing my thoughts and my behaviours. And every time I, I try to listen to my own voice and want to speak out about what mattered to me, I would suppress it and drink. So I think that's partly it. But I think the other thing as well, when I was drinking, when I was listening, if people were talking to me or having, if you were having important conversations, I was still listening to what they were saying. But instead of listening to understand, I was listening to give them an answer. I, I was so defensive all the time. And I think that's the link to the congruency bit because I was hiding so much I was always having to have an answer ready for everything. Uh, that was something that was quite apparent in the relationship I had with my kids. And I think actually, whereas now, when they're talking to me, I really want to understand what it is they're trying to say, what it is that they're feeling, rather than putting my own thoughts and belief systems onto them and listening to understand, because only when I understand can I actually support them and give them that lift that they need or just be there to say, I'll stand by you. And occasionally I'm going to say, no, it's a really bad idea, because that's what you do as parents. But I look back and I've, there's times where my kids have been trying to tell me things in the past, where instead of listening to try and understand what they were trying to get, what they were going through, and you know, some of my kids have been through quite a lot, I was too busy letting them talk, but then immediately wanting to put my own spin on it or, or turn it round into my own narrative whereas yeah. now I want to actually understand their narrative and I think that ability to really listen to the people that are so important in our life especially your kids because your kids can be going through absolute hell and we're so busy wanting them to turn out how we picture that we want them to turn out and for them to do what we think is the right thing for them and what we think will benefit them that we forget sometimes to actually open our ears and open our hearts and our minds and listen to what they're actually crying out to tell you. And sometimes what we want for them isn't the best thing. And that's something that I've really, really 
learn. And I've, I've found that my kids have, have opened up to me a lot more since I've stopped drinking. And the arguments I used to have, I've got, you know, my 22-year-old son, and we used to argue and fight and argue and fight about everything. And he always used to go, you're not listening, you're not listening. I used to go, yes, I am. But instead of actually listening, I was just forcing my viewpoint onto him all the time. Whereas now, I actually go to him and say, look, I'm struggling with this. And he'll talk to me and I'll listen it and I'm learning. Then now I, I can now go to them if I'm struggling with something and say, look, I'm struggling with this. And they've got a whole different perspective and a whole different viewpoint because they see, as kids, they see what you're going through. You've never given them the opportunity to actually say what they think and what they feel. And hearing your kids tell you stuff that's so raw and so real about you and be willing to listen to it from their perspective and go, oh my God, what on earth have I been doing? And it's quite painful at times, but absolutely enlightening the most incredible feeling but terrifying at the same time to actually allow your kids to tell you the honest raw truth about what they think about you sometimes and not argue with it that's probably one of the most amazing things that connection that I'm now getting with my own children which I didn't realize I hadn't got everyone thinks that they've got a great connection with the kids and we all have got amazing connections with our kids but sober connection is a completely different thing yeah uh, and hearing them say that they're proud of you and that's a that's a big 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 one there's a big difference I can talk to you now dad about this I can ask you something or I can tell you something without you immediately jumping down my throat or telling me I'm wrong or arguing you actually want to hear what I've got to say and understand what I've got to say and that's that's a huge huge thing that has totally changed my life So what's the second thing on your list when it comes to benefits of being sober? It has to be my health. And by health, it's my physical health. But with that, my mental health, my emotional health, because all these things are systematically tied in together. I've always wanted to be fitter and healthier. When I was young, I was fit and healthy and athletic. But then over the years, as I've got older, the drinking took charge and and took hold. And my physical health, I was finding myself just sat around when I wasn't working. I was sat around extremely overweight. I mean, I, I got up to 24, 25 stone a few years ago. I was out of breath up and down the stairs. With that meant that I was struggling to work. I was having to take a lot of time off work because I was physically ill a lot of the time. That had a knock-on effect on my mental health and I started to really struggle with severe anxiety and depression. And I just didn't like who I'd become. But instead of being able to deal with it and do something about it, I would just make the situation worse by drinking more. Little sort of story, I remember there was a time I had a job working in a a primary school. I used to work as a teaching assistant. Um, And I'd got to a point where my physical and mental health was so bad that I was getting in the car on a morning, pretending to go to work, and then driving and sitting in the car, in the car park at the local sports centre around the corner, until I knew that my wife and kids had all gone off to work and off to school. And then I was just coming home and sitting at home and crying. And I was signed off work for nearly a month with severe depression, couldn't even tell my wife and tell my kids. I was too embarrassed to be able to tell them. I couldn't face telling them how bad I'd got. 
so the school knew and they were trying to support me through it all. But I literally was getting up as if I was going to work every day, driving and sitting in a car park until I knew that she would have set off because she was working at another school where our son went. So as soon as I knew that she'd gone, I'd give her 10 minutes in case she needed to come back. And then I would drive back and I would just sit in silence and just cry. I would then drive back out because she always got back quicker than me because my school was further away. And I would sit back in the car park at the local sports centre and I'd wait until I knew that she'd be back until I knew that the timing was right. And then I'd come back in and I'd tell her the story of what my day had been like. And that went on for nearly a whole month until my headmaster, who happened to be friends with her headmaster, threatened to tell him. And I knew that if he told him, he'd tell her. And, and But that's how bad things had got. And then on an evening, all I was doing as soon as I got in is I was just drinking because I couldn't face I couldn't tell her. I didn't know how to tell her that I was that bad. So I would just I'd say, oh, come on, we'll go to the pub. Oh, I've had a good day. If you had a good day, come on, we'll go to the pub. We'll go to the pub. That was just my, that was a coping mechanism. So I, I physically became more out of shape. My weight got worse. My weight got so bad. We went on a family trip to Disneyland in Paris. And I was carrying that much weight that I got severe pains in my feet, so bad and into my feet and my ankles that I had to have the last day of the trip around Disneyland in Paris being pushed around by my kids in a wheelchair because I could no longer physically walk to go around the theme park for the day. Oh, I'd got goodness. that. I'd, got, I'd allowed myself to get that unwell physically and emotionally and mentally. I'd gone down that route. It was just absolutely heartbreaking. And I still see photographs come up in my memories on Facebook of me being pushed around by my own kids in Disney in Paris and being like... 24, 25 stone, and I don't, I'm not sizist or anything at all. But for me, I, when I was younger, I, when I was at school, I was a, a cross-country runner. I, I ran for a, a local running club and raced every weekend and trained four days a week. So I'd gone from being really fit and healthy when I was younger and very competitive as well to all of a sudden being this middle-aged man who who's pretending to go to work because he can't face work. He's lying to his family. He's can't, like in fetal position, just sat crying at home for three, four hours a day until it was time to pretend that I'd been at work all day. And then just eating and drinking. And, and it was like this vicious, vicious cycle going round. With that came then avoiding things like paying the bills because I couldn't face paying the bills. Instead of paying the bills, I'd pay for us to go to the pub. Or I'd pay for us to go away somewhere because that was it was sort of like trying to mask what yeah. I was going through instead of actually turning around and saying this is the reality of how unwell I am and all I was doing was I thought that having a drink was helping me feel better but it was just fueling it yeah it was just making me worse and worse and worse and the more I drank the more overweight I became the more overweight I became the more I couldn't do stuff with the children the more I couldn't in being involved at home, the more I couldn't physically struggling to do my job. I was struggling to sing. I was having to cancel gigs all the time because I was getting so big that it was causing really severe reflux, damage to my throat, damage to my voice. So all the things that I held really important to me were just slowly but surely all falling apart. Yeah. Um, and I was fueling it, with, and it's only now that I can sit, look back and go, oh, my God, I was just, every single day I was drinking more. The more I drank, the worse I was becoming, but I thought the drink was what was fixing it. Yeah, it, that's then, really not unusual. I think a lot of people do think 
that alcohol helps with anxiety or low mood or when you've had a tough day or when you're dealing with things or avoiding things, they feel like that is the answer. And then flip side, if you've had a really, really good day, you go, oh, I'm going to celebrate with a drink. So you celebrate something really great happening in your life by banging a depressant into you and making you feel awful the next day. So that high that you've had, all of a sudden you've counteracted it and made yourself even worse again. So you haven't re- even been able to enjoy the highs. Yeah. What changed, though, when I stopped drinking, and I've done bits of training and I've done some competitions and some other stuff, and my weight still does fluctuate. I'm nowhere near as big as I used to be. At one point, I did a, a fitness program and I lost up like nearly six stone. And at the end of that, I ran three 10Ks and a half marathon. And I did Total Warrior and I did a Tough Mudder that year. And I was physically in really good shape, but I was still drinking and I was still very severely emotionally depressed. These were little highs. There were things I was doing to try and give myself some purpose it wasn't to test myself or anything it was almost a I've I've got nothing else to give I just want people to go oh here's Jason he ran a 10k here's Jason he managed to do a half marathon well done but I haven't got anything else emotionally to give to anybody because I was just overwhelmed but then when I stopped drinking and I got back it started back at the gym again and I started to really enjoy it I found that people actually liked me for just being me and the longer I wasn't drinking the more confident I was in myself I started to be able to come out of myself and then my physical fitness started to get better and as my physical fitness got better I started to enjoy everything more and I started to have this lease of life again and then I thought do you know what I'm going to enter a CrossFit competition on my own I tried doing a few others in the past but I'd always been partnered up with somebody else who was a lot better athlete than me And usually I would end up collapsing halfway through a workout and the other person would have to do all the work just to get us through it. And I was awful. And I hadn't got the confidence to do it on my own. I actually entered one on my own. And I set myself a goal of not coming last. I knew who else was in and I knew there were people in that I was physically incapable of beating. But I knew there was at least one person, if not two people there, that I could beat in at least one or two of the events and not come last in the competition. And I did it. Wow. And I loved it. And I got such a huge, huge buzz from it. I didn't, nowhere near podium, but I didn't come last. And it just felt good because I wasn't relying on anyone else to drag me through it. It was just me on my own against me. And, And it felt so, so good. So I finished that event and I thought, I want to really push myself with something now, but something again where it's me on my own. And there's not a lot of competitions or events where the strength work as well as cardio. There's not many events that you can do. There was a lot of people and a lot of buzz in our gym, people going about, oh, so-and-so's entered High Rocks, so-and-so's entered High Rocks. And I've never heard of High Rocks. So I went on and Googled it, and I looked at it, and nearly everybody else in the gym was entering it, but they were all entering it in pairs. And High Rocks in pairs and High Rocks in individual is exactly the same event. Essentially, High Rocks is an eight-kilometre race. In between each kilometre that you run, you have a physical workout that you have to do in between each one. 
So it could be a one kilometer ski on a ski erg. It could be a 152 kilo sled push. It could be a big, heavy kettlebell, dumbbell farmer's carry for 150 meters. All these things that are just physically really, really tough and demanding. And one event in between each kilometer. And the idea is to do all eight kilometers, all eight events, one after the other, as fast as you possibly can. If you enter it as a pairs, yes, you all got to run together, but you get to share the workload and share the bit in between. I foolishly decided to enter it at 19 stone and enter it as an individual. So I've got all the eight kilometers. I've got to do every single rep, every single weight, every single movement. And if I got tired, I couldn't just hand something over and say, can you just take over and do a couple of these reps just while I get my breath back? Or because I'm physically struggling or if I'm sore or hurting, I knew I had to push myself through it all the way through. So I entered without telling anybody and just went and paid. So I literally was sat and we had a coffee shop in the gym and people were on about it. So while no one was looking, I went online before I have a chance to think about it or second guess it, I just went on, entered, done. And then I waited and got home and said, oh, by the way, I've entered High Rock. I thought it gives me something. I wanted to really test myself. And this was in June, July of 2022. The High Rocks that entered was for the 29th of January in this year, 2023, which was the weekend, my last weekend of my 50th year. Subconsciously, I'm thinking, at the age of 50, I've gone sober. I've done my first individual CrossFit competition and not come last. I wanted to finish the year off on my last weekend of my 50th year doing something really, really difficult. So that's essentially what I did. And then I entered that on the Monday. And then whilst training the following Sunday, injured myself during a training workout and ruptured my knee ligaments in my right knee. <laughs> and, no. suddenly, and, so, and was out of action. I couldn't walk for a week and a half. I couldn't work properly for nearly three weeks. I was in and out of hospital for physio. I've had to have it x-rayed, have it scanned. So all this time is going on and I couldn't train and it started to make me feel a little bit unwell, worrying about it. And then it got to January and I still haven't trained properly. I've done little bits here and there, but every time I tried to really push myself, it would flare up again and it would get sore. And it got to the 1st of January and I thought, right, what do I do? Do I cancel? Realistically, if I try and do high rocks in three weeks' time, four weeks' time, I might end up on a stretcher and being rushed off by an ambulance and I could really injure myself. Or I spend the next three, four weeks and I just work and I work and I work and I turn up and I don't care about how fast I do it. I don't care about anything other than crossing the start line and crossing the finish line, regardless of how long it takes. And to put in perspective, the average high rocks time for the open division, but I was in one of the oldest age groups, but the average time for people, I think for male average, I think for my age group, is about an hour and 25 for an individual to complete it in. Two hours and 48 minutes later, I crossed that finish line having hobbled round each kilometre but never stopped running. It was the slowest run you've ever seen. Brilliant. But complete strangers who've never seen me before 
starting to cheer me on and groups of people from other gyms from all over the country all recognising me and seeing me in so much pain, dragging myself around every single bit of the event, cheering, screaming for me, shouting, what's your name? I'm saying, it's Jason. So the next time I'm coming around, the guy, they're all chatting, Jason, Jason, people that I've never met before. Um, almost was on the hands and knees crossing the finish line. I was in absolute tears. It was the most horrific and grueling, painful thing that I've ever, ever, ever physically done. It was awful. But people were just cheering and cheering and cheering. And the cheer from the whole crowd when I went over the finish line was amazing. I have seen the photo of you crossing the finish line. It yeah. is amazing. Um, and and just, my eyes are just glazed over. and I have no idea where I am. I genuinely haven't got a clue where I was. And I came away from it thinking, I'm so glad I've done that. And I was so proud of myself. And then for some strange and bizarre reason... I've entered to do it again. Just before lockdown, I went to the XL Arena in London to watch the European qualifiers for the CrossFit Games. Essentially, he's the greatest male CrossFit athlete of all time, was competing that weekend. And he's my absolute hero. I worship him. Like, you would not believe the guy is just a machine. And I remember being in the stands, cheering him on and going, one day when I'm like in my early 50s, I want to be on that competition floor, in this venue, competing as an individual athlete. It's the same venue, it's the same room, it's the same floor. So on the 25th of November, I'll be doing my next high rock in the exact same place that my all-time biggest sporting hero ever competed and won the semi-finals. So I've sort of come the full circle and I'm actually going to do it and I'm now back training, and I'm on a training plan, and I've got just less than three months. Last time I had three and a half weeks. This time I've got just less than three months. And I will be on that floor, and I will complete it, but having the confidence to go back and do it again, knowing how horrible it was, knowing how much it hurt, but knowing that I've got it inside me to actually put the work in and to turn up and put myself through that mental test because yeah. it is physically, it's horrendous, but it's what's going through your head while you're doing it, and you can't escape it. You're there on the floor, and all you want to do is just is just cry and go home. But you've told yourself that you're crossing that finish line, and you're crossing that finish line. And it was nice, because when I did it in January, I did not do it for anyone else. Some of the people that knew me were all saying, just quit. Just quit. You're in too much pain. Quit. And I'm thinking, no, that's not what I'm going to do. This is for me. If I can stop drinking, if I can go a whole year sober, I can get across this finish line. Don't care how long it takes. And that's now my mindset for this next one. I want to do better, but I'm not competing with anyone other than myself and what's going on in my head. I'm doing it just for me. I want to feel better and feel proud of what I can do. And there's no point in being sober and then sitting around and not doing anything with it. Yeah. It's not about quitting the alcohol. It's about actually living a better life and living a more fulfilling life. I want to be able to go to bed at night and go, I did that. And I'm proud of myself for that. When I used to drink, I had so much self-loathing and so much guilt. Whereas now, all that guilt's gone. I'm accepting and forgiving myself for my past and wanting to now enjoy the present and have an amazing future. And part of that is 
getting myself into a better space physically, mentally, emotionally. I still have the odd moment of feeling a bit down and depressed. I'm 51. Some people go, oh, I've turned 50. I'm thinking I'm only 51. Yeah. I've got years ahead of me. I can do anything I want. I can still achieve anything I want. I could be a famous pop star. I can be a – I trained as a barber. I opened my own barber shop, but it didn't work, and mainly because it was when it was tough at the beginning. After a tough day, I was going home and just getting drunk. And then the yeah. next morning I was going in and I was tired and lethargic and I didn't have the energy. And I'd spent all the money on training and every last penny I'd got on trying to fit the shop out. But it never worked because my heart wasn't truly in it. And my heart was never truly in anything that I did. It was always a half-assed attempt at doing stuff because I was always too busy drinking. That is the thing, though, isn't it, with alcohol? You don't realise how much it's sabotaging you, how much it's robbing you, how you're not ever realising your full potential. You don't want to realise your full potential. You don't care about it when you're drinking. And it's strange when I look at people that I idolise, and I don't like using the word idolise because I don't really, but Matt Fraser, who was five years in a row, World CrossFit Games champion, fittest man on earth, sober. Yeah. He used to drink when he first started as a weightlifter. He used to drink when he was younger and and he ended up injuring himself and stuff like that. And he used to drink quite a lot and he got sober and then went on to defy his back injuries and stuff and went on to become the five-time fittest man on earth, fittest person on earth. As a musician, I'm, as well as a singer, I'm a drummer. And the drummer who I absolutely idolise is a guy called Mike Portnoy, who plays for all my favourite sort of progressive metal and progressive rock bands. And he is just a god. He even wrote a full piece of music called The Twelve Steps Suite, all about the 12 steps of becoming sober, going through the AA, and he's been sober for years, and he actively promotes his sobriety and even writes music about it and stuff like that. And I sit there and I look at all the people that achieve a lot of the greatest things and people that I look up to who I always go, yeah, they're just the pinnacle of what I enjoy. I enjoy my music. I enjoy drumming. I enjoy CrossFit. And the people at the best of it, they're the people who are doing it. They're not drinking. Yeah. And you've got to think it's not a coincidence, is it? No, there's got to be something in it. I think that's the thing. I mean, you look at some of the greats. I look at people and I just think I'm always so amazed when I see a celeb or somebody like that that I admire. And then you realise they're sober. Yeah. And you think... Yeah, fair play to you. In in a world full of temptation, to actually be able to be sober. I mean, aren't we all in a world full of temptation? And there's the thing, you wrote this piece called The 12 Step Suite, and it's only since I've stopped drinking and become sober that I actually now understand what it's about. I have (laughs) no idea what it actually means. Oh, light bulb moment. Now I understand it. Now I get, because the fact that they are sober, it was something I would have never even picked up on. I wouldn't have looked at somebody that was sober as something to admire necessarily before going sober, before you realise what's involved. It is hard, but the rewards are just there. And the potential, your potential. And I saw your High Rocks pictures and, oh, just, I mean, I can't run a bath. I said that to you. I'd love to be able to run. So answer me this then. Would Jason the Drinker have entertained doing High Rocks? Oh, God, no. Absolutely not, because Jason the Drinker wouldn't have had the courage to actually go out there and put himself on the line and not rely on somebody else to get him through. I've got the confidence to know that it doesn't matter how long it takes, I will turn up and do it. 
And that's the difference because I believe in myself now and I never did, never did. Oh, my word. That is just phenomenal. So, yeah, my third thing has got to be self-belief and confidence. It's something that I never really had. I faked it. I faked it all the time. I faked it when I sang. Even though I knew I was good at singing, people go to go, oh, you're so confident. I wasn't. I was a nervous wreck when I used to go out and sing. Everything I've ever done, I've always faked being confident. It's always been bravado. It's always been this image of, oh, Jason, he's, he's the life and soul of the party and stuff. And it wasn't. It was all fake. Whereas now, I actually believe in myself. I believe that there's nothing at all out there no challenge, whether it be a physical challenge, whether it be something that I'm scared of, whether it be dealing with something emotionally, there isn't anything at all that I don't believe in myself enough or that I'm not confident enough just to go out there and face and deal with and expose myself, make myself vulnerable, but knowing that I've got the confidence to go out there and do it. There literally isn't anything apart from maybe going up a ladder to clean windows. Still scared of going up a ladder. I still use a pole. That will come. My fear of going up a ladder is partly height, but it's partly because I've put so much weight on. But that will come from me getting fitter and healthier and emotionally stronger. That fear will disappear as well. And I'll find the strength and the courage to do that. There isn't anything that I can't face now. Yeah. Um, and I look at all the things that I wanted to do when I was younger and didn't do, and now I know I actually can still do them. I might have missed my opportunity now on some of them, but I can still try and create new opportunities. I can still, I've still got a lot of the same goals. I have so much I want to achieve in life, and I never had the belief. I didn't think I was capable, or I didn't think I was worthy of it. I didn't think self-worth as well as self-belief, I just honestly didn't believe that I was worth doing it for. I'd, I'd either do it to impress somebody else, but I wasn't doing it because I honestly believed that, yeah, this is something I can do because I want to do it. Now, the confidence when I get on stage is different. It's strange now. I turn up and I, I walk on stage in a pair of jeans and a pair of pumps and a T-shirt, and it's not all about putting this fancy image on. It's I walk onto that stage and go, right, you're just going to listen to me sing now. Don't matter what I look like. Just wait till I open my mouth and sing. And that sounds arrogant, but it's not. It's confidence. It's yeah. believing that I've got that talent. It's walking out onto the high rocks floor and knowing that I will cross that finish line. And, and knowing that I've got the courage to actually go online and actually send the money and press enter. That's a huge thing. Actually sitting there thinking, no, I could really fall here I could really hurt myself or I could really embarrass myself because I could I could have been so embarrassed going around and being one of the slowest ones there but I wasn't embarrassed I was just proud of myself because I sat there and thought I've done that all the other people that are you know 51 50 years old and 19 stone sat watching Netflix and with a can of beer in their hand and not doing anything I've actually turned up and put myself through it physically and done it. And having the confidence to know that my marriage wasn't serving me anymore and that I needed to start all over again from scratch. To walk away from 25 years in a relationship with someone 
But knowing I'd got the confidence and that I can build myself up from absolutely nothing, from rock bottom, there is nothing that's going to stop me. It might just take a long time, but that I can get to wherever I want to get to. I can achieve whatever I want to achieve. And know, genuinely know it because it's, it's who I am. And it's not drunken rambling. It's just complete 100% self-belief and self-worth. I'm worth so much more than I've achieved I've underachieved by a million percent on what I'm capable of. Yeah. Even through the sobriety journey, 20 months is a long time, but it's not. It's still 20 months coming to terms with lots of things and healing from lots of things because you've got to do all that bit first before you can really start to achieve and start to really go for what you want to go for. I've dabbled in it with my first high rocks. I'll dabble it again with my second one. But as the healing goes and as I become emotionally and physically stronger, the world is literally my oyster. There's nothing I can't achieve. And I will genuinely, I'll I'll grow old feeling that I've lived a really good life. I just want to just be happy in my own skin and happy in my own head and happy in my own heart. And that's the first time in, oh, it must be the first time in probably 30, 40 years that I can actually genuinely say that's me. And would you put that down to sobriety? Was that the turning point for you? That's absolutely 100% the turning point. Actually being able to face up to all the things that have been emotionally impacting on everything that I've done. And they've impacted every decision that I've made, every mistake I've ever made and every disaster I've ever had. And I've gone through a fair few disasters financially and physically and emotionally. All of those were when I was drinking, since I've stopped and taken the alcohol out of my system and the longer it's been out of my system, the more I've actually been able to just face up to the reality of what's gone wrong, accept my part in things that have gone wrong, accept my responsibility in what's gone wrong, learn from it, be humbled by it and sit there and think, right, but there's good that's come out of all these things. All the things that all the mistakes I've made have all taught me lessons but I never listened to the lessons when I was drinking. Whereas now I'm completely sober. Yes, I've got to go through the, the, you have that pain that you go through dealing with it and healing from it. But now I can actually grow. Now I can actually believe. I can't even imagine that or think about the person that was sat in that car park crying, pretending to go to work for a month. That's a million, it's not even the same human being as the person that's sat here now. And I'm in financially, I'm in a way worse position than I was then. I'm having to start everything all over again. And I'm actually happy. Yeah. I'm actually confident. I'm looking forward to everything. I'm not looking back. I've got no regrets about anything that's happened to get to this point. Because I know that without all of that, I wouldn't have the prospective future that I've got ahead of me. And it's having that confidence that comes from not drinking, being able to face and deal with anything because any decision I make now is a completely sober decision. I'm not making drunk decisions. It's I'm consciously thinking about what the impact is, what the effects can be, what the outcome can be. And then I'll still go ahead and do it anyway, because I believe in myself to do it. Whereas beforehand, I never thought things through because I was always drunk. Now, the first time I entered Tough Mudder was a New Year's Day drunken decision. And then I woke up the next day going, oh, my God, what have I done? And and I did enjoy it, but I didn't do it because it was something I wanted to do. I did it just 
it was a drunken decision. Whereas everything I do now, I consciously think of. And, and it's just, it's an amazing feeling, but it's not a feeling that you have when you drink. Yeah. And people that drink don't understand that. I don't have an issue with people drinking. I'm not against people drinking. I would never go start preaching to everyone, you all need to stop drinking. But if they knew what I know from not drinking, if they knew what I can feel now and how much better I feel and how much more secure in myself and in my own emotions and in my thoughts and my feelings I am from not drinking. But if people say anything to me, I don't take it as personally now. If somebody insults me, I don't take it as personally anymore now because I know who I am now and I accept who I am now and I like who I am now. And it's a great feeling. I love it. <laughs> and you're great. And you're absolutely great. And, oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You, again, were one of the first accounts I followed on Sober Instagram. And it, you just stood out to me. And you're always so positive. And it really is hard to hear how bad things got for you. Having that confidence and those things that you've been doing and those pictures of High Rocks, which is why I wanted to talk to you, because it just they just resonated with me. You could see you're in so much pain doing it, but the buzz on your face, it, they were magical. Yeah. So thank you so much for talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. <laughs> And just to remind you that this podcast and all opinions contained within it is simply a positive look at what it means to be sober. It isn't designed to lighten the subject of alcohol abuse, rather show that there is light at the end of the tunnel for anyone considering sobriety. It's for the purpose of inspiration and entertainment and not a replacement for therapy. Alcohol use disorder is a serious subject and so if you're struggling, then please seek the help of a trained professional and don't suffer alone. Until next time, take care.